after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, in, uh, in our library, we have several books by my friend Frank Viola and Jackie Cushman, our wonderful pianist who's ill today, um, had mentioned to me in a worship planning session about six or eight weeks ago that she really wished I would do a series of messages based on Frank's book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. And I said, okay. I mean, you'd be amazed how easy it is to get me to do things if you'd just ask. <laughs> Not that I say yes to everything, but... I always consider everything a potential divine appointment, you know? Somebody talks to me, I wonder if God's getting ready to say something to me. I just ready myself for that. And so I wanted to teach on this topic and spend some time with you over the next several weeks going through this book. And obviously we have a few copies in the library that you can borrow or buy and uh, you can pick this up on Amazon. I happen to know, because this is how I became familiar with the book, that you can get it on Kindle Unlimited for free. And I got it on Kindle Unlimited for free because I got a free three-month subscription to Kindle Unlimited, which they give away like crazy. It's a good time of the year for that. So I'm just saying, you can, and if you're an audiobook person like I am, you can also listen to this in audiobook form. But uh, this book is is revolutionary in, in certain ways, and that's why we're gonna spend some time on it. And the first question it asks, and it's a very fair question that we all need to consider, why do radical terrorists seem to show more dedication to their misguided cause than many contemporary Christians? I mean, really, 
Why? Why are Christians so unmotivated and people who are wrapping their minds around unbelievably destructive and violent and evil belief systems so motivated? Why? I will tell you that in my experience as a pastor and as a Christian pretty much all of my life, I found it interesting that people are often confused and conflicted because they think that in order to be a Christian, uh, you're not supposed to do anything controversial. You're not supposed to do anything that offends people. You're not supposed to rock anybody. You're not supposed, we're supposed to all be nice. And I've seen some really dumb things happen in churches over the years because of this weird spirit of niceness. You know, the reality is, is that Jesus made it very clear that his message would divide households. He made it clear that a faithful devotion to him would divide communities, that it would divide people groups, that it would even divide churches. He says it in a different way, but it's clear from Jesus' own words that he did not come to make everything nice. And niceness is a foolish, foolish goal for Christian people to, uh, to attain. That we, we're all nice to each other. You know what? Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to say that's out of bounds. Sometimes we have to say, you know, all sorts of things that make us uncomfortable. We have to say, well, it doesn't really matter what feels good or what your tastes uh, drive you towards. The thing that matters is obedience to Christ. You know, the thing that matters is faithfulness to his commands. And, and so this is the, the, the nature of this gospel of the kingdom and the spirit of insurgents. See, if you really get down to it, the difference between most Christians and insurgents for the kingdom of Christ is that most Christians have embraced something that's been known as easy believism. You can ask somebody if they're Christian and they'll say yes. And if you ask them on what basis they call themselves Christian, they'll say because they believe in God. Say, well, Jews believe in God too. Press them and Christians will say, well, I believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. It's why he confronts Jesus all the time in the New Testament. And so you say, well, I believe Jesus is uh, die for my sins on the cross. Okay, all right, getting warmer, but, but what does that mean? And this is where most Christians stop. They say, well, you know, I believe that uh, I went down to Julie's insurance office and I got a policy called get out of hell insurance because I believe in Jesus. And that's where a lot of Christians stop. Insurgents are an entirely different thing. And I find that the older I get and the more insurgent I get, the harder I am. I mean, literally, just harder. Like, I'm just like, you know what? Some Christians in the last few years have said that I'm just not nice. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's not that I want anybody to find me poorly representing Christ, but I'm not going to waver in my complete devotion to him. So this 
is where this book by my friend Frank really hit home. I read it a few years ago, about five, four or five years ago now, and when I got done with it, I was stunned. I literally was stunned because I had never read a Christian book that so clearly articulated what I believe it means to be a Christian, and more than that, articulates what I believe is wrong with Christianity and the church. Now, I'm, not, I'm doing a disservice to Frank because that's not what this book is about. This book is not about what's wrong with the church. I'm just saying that when I read this book, I realized that my view of what church ought to be was shared by at least this guy. And then it turns out it's a bestseller and there's just many, many people out there, thousands and thousands of people who've read the book and share the same point of view about what it means to be a Christian. And uh, this book made me realize that this fella had come up the same way I did. He's around the same age as me. He'd witnessed the same things I'd witnessed and he wrote eloquently about that experience and reminded us that what it means to be a Christian is nothing short of being an insurgent. It's really supposed to be a radical devotion to Christ that separates you from other people, sets you apart, makes you unique, and sometimes so unique that you're misunderstood and labeled by people. You know, when we made certain decisions last year, there were people who took the short, easy route to hate and just said that we had a problem of hate and then hated us for it, which makes me scratch my head, but it was much less complicated to just do that, to just label people. When in reality, if you really think about what you're hearing and you think about who's communicating with you, you have to deal with their ideas. You have to deal with their personality. You have to deal with their faith. You have to deal with the fact that you might not agree even after you have been friends for many, many years. And, and this is a lot harder. So being an insurgent is tough. And it requires a lot of courage. So it's no wonder that many of us default back to easy believism and niceness. But as a student of Christianity and the church universal, I can tell you that it hasn't done the church any good at all. In fact, the church is in a real bad way right now because of people being so obsessed with social norms. Insurgents aren't normal, <laughs> nor should they be. Listen to this definition from the Webster's Dictionary. Insurgents, noun, an organized opposition intended to change or overthrow existing authority. Insurgency, insurrection, revolt, revolution, sedition, uprising. What I'm proposing is that we should be seditious, <laughs> anti-society people. Now, I know that sounds extreme, right? Like, seriously, did you just say that? No, not necessarily, but the fact is, is we can't be afraid if that's how we're perceived. That's the real problem. We're so worried about our images. You know, we're so worried about how many stars are next to our account on something. 
You know, we're so worried about other people's opinion of us as if that really matters. Because it doesn't. There's only one opinion that matters. And that's Christ's opinion of you, our king. When we call insurgents a matter of reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the thing that's central to this whole concept is the kingdom. A kingdom is a province or a, a, a large community or whatever you want to call it that is ruled by a king. And so when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, and what he means is, is because the king is here. You don't have a kingdom without a king, and a kingdom without a king is just, you know, a country. It is just a city. It's just a, a, a province or a state. It's, but the king is here, and we serve the king. And so you may or may not like this, but the fact is, is that we just celebrated the birth of our king, and since that birth, he has reigned. He is our king, and we serve our king. That's why we call him Lord. That's just another word for saying your majesty, King Jesus. We need to really grasp the idea that as Christians, we are, citizen, we are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And kingdom means the land ruled by Jesus Christ. And his kingdom will have no end. His kingdom extends beyond borders and it extends beyond earth and sea. It extends beyond the atmosphere and beyond the universe. His kingdom is endless and his reign is supreme over all things. And given the extent of his authority and his grasp, and the vastness of King Jesus' reign, it's really a wonder to me that so many puny little people reject him. It's amazing to me how all over the world of English-speaking people, his name has been turned into a curse word and is thrown about frivolously as if it isn't important or worse it's meant as an insult to the king. Now, I don't know a lot about living in a land ruled by kings because I was born here in America and we were founded as a country that wouldn't have a king. But I do know from reading my history books that usually when you get on the wrong side of a king, it doesn't go well for you. And yet people routinely spit in our King Lord Jesus' eye and even mock people who love and serve him. So what does that mean? It means that being an insurgent isn't really that hard. Love him. And you're already setting yourself apart from some of the most violent opposition you'll encounter because you love him, because you revere King Jesus, because you devote your life to serving King Jesus. You recognize that everything you think you own actually belonged to him first, and it will be his when you're gone. You will recognize that everywhere you go, every breath you breathe, every word that comes out of your mouth is a gift from King Jesus, and they ought to be devoted to him. 
at least in spirit. So being an insurgent means radical devotion to King Jesus for the sake of his kingdom. And so it is. Now, what does that look like in real life? Well, I've just finished reading a couple of biographies. You know, I read all the time and well, you know, you probably want your pastor to be somebody who reads a lot, but you know, I could read comic books. You know, you gotta be a little more specific about what I'm reading if you're gonna encourage me to read. But as it turns out, I'm a sucker for those fat books full of vast knowledge that bore a lot of people. But anyway, I just finished reading the biography of Martin Luther, which was recommended to me by Julie Silkwood, and then I followed that author to his book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. These guys were insurgents. I mean, literally and figuratively. They were insurgents for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but they also became then insurgents in their own realm. <laughs> they, they became people who were viewed as enemies of the state because of their devotion to the king, King Jesus. Here's some of the words that they said that I wrote down because they were so memorable to me. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. That's very famous words of Martin Luther. I am much afraid that the schools, and in this he means religious schools, will prove the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor explaining the holy scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of youth. See, that's what Adrian was talking to you about earlier. Martin Luther thought it was a pretty good idea because he advised that no one place his child in an institution where scripture doesn't reign paramount. Every institution in which uh, means are not unceasingly occupied with the word of God must be corrupt. Martin Luther I don't have to tell you, he was very unpopular with the Pope and the Catholic Church. And that guy had a death warrant hanging over his head all the time. And here's what he said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe and then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. Being a Christian isn't about being passive. It isn't about waiting for bad things to happen and then trying to make people believe that God cares. Maybe when they're praying for an answer to their problem, when they're looking for God's intervention, you are God's intervention. You are God's answer to the prayer. That's what insurgents do. Bonhoeffer said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. 
Think about that. Think about that. What about you makes the people around you who don't share your belief in Christ as Lord and Savior, what makes you witness to him so powerfully that they question their own religious convictions? What about you is so convicting that they can't help but wonder what you have encountered and why it has changed you so radically? Finally, Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. You hear that? You should write that one down. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and effectively doing God's will. Do you know how many generations? I just watched an old-time movie the other day about a preacher in a church in a little town. And you know what was really funny? People took pride in how sinless their lives appeared to be. And then the preacher would show up. Back then, preachers got some respect from people in their town, and he showed up, and, and he'd call them out on their actions not matching their hyperbole. And you know, the end of the movie is actually celebrating how this preacher influenced people uh, to get more serious about this and not just put on a show for each other. See, a lot of churches, that's what we do. We just sort of glad hand each other and encourage each other to keep being mediocre. And as long as nobody pushes any one of us harder than we want to be pushed, we're happy with each other and with the religion that we've crafted around our mediocrity. There's a sermon shot. To be a Christian insurgent and to really embrace what we're going to observe over the next several weeks really, really challenges us to get outside of our comfort zone. And for now, that's mostly a mental problem. For now, it's not going to ask any more of you than to wake up to be uncomfortable in your thought, to, to not be able to be at peace with the way you've approached your relationship with Christ thus far. It's not meant to make you feel guilty or to induce shame or anything like that, but simply to make you feel more unstable where you've been standing than you used to. I don't know how many of you have experienced earthquakes, but I got to tell you, it is unsettling to have the solid ground that's always the same every day of your life start moving back and forth everywhere, not just where you're standing, but like, like everywhere you look, everybody around you, every solidly spaced or placed thing, it's all going this way and that way, and it's moving, and you realize you can't get away from it. You are not standing on solid ground, and there's nothing you can do about it. So what I'm proposing that the beginning steps of insurgency would be is having the ground upon which you stand be, feel unsettled. And, and I want you to be ill at ease with what has felt comfortable for so long. 
Then you're ready to embrace a new paradigm. You're ready to look for a new way to be a Christian, which is one that will almost certainly separate you from the comfortable people you know. And you may even, like me, be accused of being mean and unchristian and occasionally, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Because, you, you know, when, when you upset people's paradigms, when you make them feel like the ground they've been standing on for decades is no longer safe, they get angry with you about that. And angry people say hateful things, really hateful things. They do hateful things. And believe me, you don't have to look far to see how that works and the way that plays out. So welcome to the insurgency. Welcome to being, uh, you know, like the Marines, the few, the humble, the insurgents. A small group of people who are going to stand firmly on a narrow piece of ground where Christ in the Holy Spirit dwells and reigns over their lives, where he is their king and their devotion to anything else is secondary. Do you know that what got the Christians in trouble with Caesar most often back in the early days of the church? You know what it was? Once a year, they had to pledge allegiance to Caesar. And in so doing, they had to stand before an altar to, G, to uh, excuse me, an altar to Caesar, and they had to take a little pinch of something, you know, dust-like something, and they had to move it and put it into an urn, and then that was their declaration of allegiance to Caesar as God, right? And the Christians said, no. I have one king, it's King Jesus. I have one kingdom, it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom is the only truth and I will not take a pinch of dust and dedicate myself publicly to something that I do not have allegiance to. I'm gonna say something that's gonna really, really shake you up and I'm just gonna say it and then we're gonna pray. I want you to imagine the next time you are challenged to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I was raised as a Boy Scout. I, I know the whole story behind the national anthem and all, but I want you to think for a minute that you're an early Christian and you're being asked to pledge allegiance to a flag. And you're thinking to yourself, but I can only pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. He's my king. I can't pledge allegiance to a flag. I can't pledge allegiance to a piece of cloth or what it stands for. I have to pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I want you to imagine that you're thinking that right here at Shiloh Church at some function where we all agreed that the function should begin with the pledge to allegiance to the flag and you find yourself conflicted because now you're standing in the church where you worship Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior, your King, and you're being told in that very same place that you should pledge allegiance to a flag that represents a government and an ideology, and I want you to imagine that you are a Christian with a pinch of dust in your hand and you've just been confronted with an impossible decision. 
I want you to imagine that because right now you're feeling it. I can tell you're feeling it. And, I, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what does that look like? My people, my friends, my, my military companions, because I served in the military to fight for that flag and the people that it represents. None of that's gone away, beloved. Nothing about that has changed. Our loyalty to this land's great wonderful freedoms and all that it stands for, our loyalty to the blood represented by the red on that flag, our loyalty to the ideals represented by the stars on that flag, none of that's changed, but I'm asking you, can you pledge allegiance to a flag if you believe in all your being that there is only one thing you can pledge allegiance to, and it's King Jesus? You think about that before we come back next week and you'll have probably a better understanding of what it means to be an insurgent for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we've stirred it up together. Now you settle our souls. We love you, Lord, and we want to be entirely devoted to you and we need to be challenged. And it's hard but it should be. So Lord, help us wherever we find ourselves in the car with a maniac heading into a crowd, where we find ourselves buying a worldly view of faithfulness to you. Help us, we pray. For your namesake, amen. Amen.